to, to gladness is a sensual pleasure. And then the gift is joy with sadness. And so it's even interesting. You're kind of like, man, yes, joy. And it's like, with sadness, it's still there, right? And so there's this part of just the reality of what we're working through and the fullness of, of joy and authentic gladness, authentic joy. Um, we have to be able to, to work through it with sadness, right? And, um, and, but if we want to avoid and avoid all the other emotions and avoid everything that goes along with this, we, we will kind of look out for a sensuous um, pleasure. And so when you, when you think about this too, uh, I love this quote Chip has in the book. He says, true gladness is being able to live life on life's terms. So authentic joy, however you want to frame it, authentic joy or authentic gladness is you're able to live life on life's terms. So you're not trying to gloss over hurt and pain and loneliness and sadness and all those things that we've talked about. You're not trying to gloss over it. You're trying to, to live through it. And you're living life on life's terms and you're understanding the gift of all those different things. So, so all those seven, these past seven weeks and seven past core emotions, um, they allow us to actually experience the fullness of joy. The fullest of what it means to, to, to be glad, to actually have that. And, and so you begin to say, like, oh, I, I need to work through all of those other things in order to experience the reality of what authentic joy uh, actually is. You might uh, know this because when you've gone through something hard, you begin to resonate with someone else, right, who's gone through something hard. Right, and so, but then when, let's say you've had the death of a loved one and you've kind of worked through that, right? Um, when uh, you're able to see like life, you, you, you appreciate life even more than you did before. Why? Because you know the reality of death. And so there's like a fullness. It, and it can come in small ways too. Uh, it's like I worked, um, it doesn't have to be as like big as like death, but it can be, I worked a, a job uh, in the parks and rec department for like years, like in, during summers and everything, and I had to pick up garbage all the time. And, uh, and, and now like whenever I see people picking up garbage, I, I have such a tender heart towards them. That's why I will also never litter. You will, like if I see you litter, I will come after you. Um, because like, like I'll, I'll never, do, well, why is it? Well, because I picked up garbage for an entire summer repeatedly. You know, summer after summer. It's like, like I, painted, I painted one fence at, the, at this big park for an entire summer. A brown, ugly fence for an entire summer. So now when I see someone painting a fence, I'm like, oh, dear Lord. You know, I remember like those days. And, and, and what is, it, you resonate at a deeper level. You have a deeper level of appreciation. Well, the same thing is, is happens with our joy. Like you need to be able to go through sadness and loneliness and hurt and pain and anger and work through some of these things that we've been talking about to fully be able to understand what true authentic joy is. So that when pain and, and life comes at you and suffering comes at you, it's not that you don't mourn, you mourn. You do and you grieve and you feel all that, but you're able to be like, oh, I'm really hurt right now. And I'm processing. I'm, I'm hurt and I'm lonely and I'm sad. And all of a sudden you're processing these emotions in the right way so that you can still experience joy within sadness. And so that's the heart of, of what this is and what we're going to talk about here today. What's cool about your, the joy center of your brain, it actually starts uh, when you're born. Uh, and when you're born. And so uh, when uh, a mother and a father pick up their child and they hold the child for the first time and they look at the child there's, an, an, there's a DNA connection that's already there just simply because of creation. But what ends up happening, too, is when the child looks up and sees the loving eyes of a, a mom and a dad, that there's something that is attached to it. And it's literally called attachment theory. Um, and, and something instantaneously happens with the child. And right off the, first, for, right off the top, they, they begin to know, oh, I'm actually wanted and loved and desired to be here. 
And so it, it happens right away. And so we begin to see, and some of y'all, like, this is part of your story. It, it could be part of my story, too. And it's like, like when there's a, a parent that leaves, or if it's just a single parent, or whatever happens, it's, it's like, it, can it impact a child? And the answer is, is yes. There's an attachment thing that ends up shaping, like, our children. And it's, listen, I'm not trying to heap on guilt or anything to anybody, um, but it is a reality. It's just like, how, like, God designed this to be in a certain way. And so even when... Uh, even when there's an, an element where, like, I mean, there's, there's a parent missing for one reason or another, the child automatically feels that. And how they begin to see uh, love and how they see even, like, sex and sexuality and, and all this other stuff, it's, it's tied into so much of it and involved in attachment theory. So, so in, in, when a child looks up and sees the loving eyes, they, their joy center of their brain immediately starts to fire. And here's what's cool. Throughout your entire life, this isn't the case for everything with your brain, but throughout your entire life, the joy center of your brain can grow. So, so if you're in a place where you're like, I've been so negative, I've been so pessimistic, I'm down and everything, we're going to talk a lot about that today, but, but it's like your joy center of your brain can continue to grow if, if you're like emotionally healthy. So how many guys would love to be more joyful, honestly, if you're not raising your hand like I we're going to get you today. But um, if, you're, if you're saying to yourself, I, I want to be a more joyful person, you can be. You can be. And so, um, but it's just a matter of really wanting to engage uh, in the right way. Uh, this um, guy named Paul, he, he wrote a large portion of our New Testament in our Bibles. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's divided into an Old and a New Testament. And uh, the hinge point of everything is Jesus and and the, when the early church started, um, after Jesus had died and rose again, these churches started happening. The Christian movement uh, that was originally called the way, this, this, the way of Jesus started. And one of the guys was a guy named Paul. And so he wrote all these letters to the early Christians in these churches just to help them begin to understand how they had to think about things and, and how, what does it mean to follow Jesus. And there's a lot going on in the world around them. And to one of the churches, the church in Philippi, um, which is a pretty strong church and had a lot going on with it. He writes this letter that if you were to read all four chapters of it, a lot of it is really centered around resilient joy. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture of what resilient, authentic joy uh, looks like in the midst of intense persecution and death. And so Paul is this fascinating um, person throughout Scripture because um, he even writes at one point, he's, he's writing letters in prison talking about singing hymns. Like the, he has the ability to have this joy in the midst of sadness, in the midst of like things that you would think would like wreck other people. There was this resilience about who he was and, and what he focused on, and it became so critical. And so he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, and he says this in uh, Philippians 4.8. It's one simple uh, verse that says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, like whatever is, look at this, true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Like that's, that's what we focus on. So we, we think about those things, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's what we think about. How many of you guys woke up this morning thinking that way? Or you think about your week, is, is that your focus? 
You see, the, the joy, one of the ways the joy center of our brain begins to really increase is, is doing exactly what Paul is saying right here. And of course, what Paul is actually reflecting on is the reality of who Jesus is, okay? That, that becomes a starter, but it's like, man, whatever you're going through, and it's like, man, but, but Wax, my, my life is in a terrible spot right now. Okay, I understand that. But even in the midst of the worst of the worst, if you can hit pause for a second, I know this can be hard to do, but if you can hit pause for a second and be like, yeah, but what's true? What's admirable? Like, what's excellent? What, what might be praiseworthy about something I'm going through right now? Like, is there something that can, like, begin to, not to avoid, like, we engage what's going on in our life, but, but can I see something else happening here that becomes so critical in our understanding of, of how to engage? And so um, what happens here with gladness? I want to talk about the impairment first. I want to talk about the impairment first. And so there's sensuous pleasure, and then uh, here's what this moves us towards. Our focus becomes solely on what's temporary, on what's temporary. So it's just, it's just what's right in front of us, like what's, what's easy to, to kind of accomplish. So it's the temporary things. Like this is the culture we live in. This isn't just our American culture, though there is part of a reality. It's like when, when you think about, um, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, like and what that means in American culture. It's like, man, that stuff ran out a long time ago right? That never fulfilled, never will fulfill, um, doesn't answer life's questions. Like, it's an it's a endless, fruitless journey. Well, why is that? Because it's all focused on the temporary. And that's not the intent of how we're supposed to live. That's not the intent of how we're supposed to engage life. It's not the intent of how we're supposed to see one another. And so what does it look like when we focus on the temporary? Well, there are a lot of different ways that we do this, but uh, you can focus on um, your intellect, it could be one way. And so you, and listen, all these things I'm about to say um, are primarily like really good things. So you might focus on your intellect. And you're like, my intellect is temporary. Kind of. Like there, there's an element, right, as, that, that is a, a true thing. But here's what I mean by that. If you just pile on degrees, all right, you're like, I got this degree, I got this degree, I got this degree. Is that a good thing? Totally. If you become an expert in your field, is that a good thing? Totally. Absolutely. Does it define your life and your identity? No. But when the focus is solely on that, we just, it becomes a sensuous pleasure that we just want to focus on just those things and that is it. And those temporary things do not fulfill us. It does not lead us to authentic joy. Because guess what? If you just focus, let's say, in the academic element or the education piece of this, and I'm all for all those things, but if that's just your sole focus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn, I'm going to educate myself, and that's how I'm going to accomplish everything. And then great suffering comes your way. Cancer comes your way. Death comes your way. Or something comes your way. And, and if you break down financially, your degree does not going to answer those questions. And will not bring you authentic joy. And so it can be temporary. It might be through your body, through sexual pleasure, through focus on looks, through um, maybe you physically go somewhere, right? Like there, you, you take your body on temporary things. Um, is it good to take care of your body? Yes. Is it good to be healthy? Yes. Um, will someday you not be able to do the same things that you used to do in your 20s? Some of you are in your 20s and you're like, well, I can do everything. But like, the, but like when you get into your 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, you're going to look back and be like, oh, I used to be able to climb that, do that, lift that, whatever. And, and listen, that's just the way life works, right? No matter how many pills you take, no matter how many powders you drink, no matter whatever, you can prolong it, but it's temporary. 
And so if your entire focus is on those things, like, and, and life throws something hard at you, guess what isn't going to matter? How good you look in the mirror. You could be the most beautiful person in this room, and you are. You're beautiful. Okay? You're beautiful. You could be the most beautiful person in this room, and guess what? Death doesn't care. Suffering doesn't care. No matter how good looking you are, it doesn't give you authentic joy. It's like, all right, well, what else? Maybe it's your self-will, so you're so disciplined. You're like, if I just discipline my way, I'll get into joy. But guess what? Our discipline's good. <laughs> yes, they're wonderful. We should have them. You, you know, if you're an undisciplined person, your, your life is chaotic and crazy. Disciplined people, you need discipline. Like for many reasons to set yourself up for, for success. But, but just discipline, does that in your self-will, does that, that, does that answer? Is that uh, an answer to suffering and pain and death? And the answer is, is, is no. Um, distractions like sports and drama and art and hobbies and vacations. It's like, yes, we need to rest and yes, we need entertainment. But you have to understand what those things can and can't do. They're all temporary. I often think about this with, um, you know, you see where kids' sports are right now, and, and it's, there's elements of it that's really good, and some really good communities can form um, out of those things. And, and I often think to myself, man, I wonder, we're already seeing this now, but man, like a decade from now in particular or so, it's like, man, what are, what are our kids going to think was just, like, was re- what was really important? Are they just being raised with like, hey, everything temporary is the most important thing, and so let's orient our lives around that, and it's all temporary. It's not just sports. It can be art stuff. It can be creative stuff, whatever. But it's like, it's all temporary. It's all just sensuous pleasures that we engage. Do we need those things, and are those things good? Yeah, they can be totally good. Absolutely. But man, when we're off and we're emotionally unhealthy, we move towards those things being an answer. Um, so let's just take a look at this chart for a second. Which of these things leads to an inner joy? Is it money? No. Materialism? No. Right? Marriage? No. I, I love you. <laughs> but it's not. Sex? Right? No. Parenting, no. Power. (laughs) Power, no. Physical appearance, no. Career, no. Academia, no. I mean, we all know that one. Politics, no, right? But isn't this crazy? Like, this is what we center our whole lives on. Like, our joy rises and falls with all of these things. And yet, we inherently know that the answer is, is these will not bring us an authentic joy. None of it will. We literally fight over these things. We, we will leave a church over these things. We will abandon God over these things. We will ruin relationships over these things. None of them bring authentic joy. None of them get to the depth and the heart of who we're supposed to be and who we were created to be. But man, we will base our life all around it. And it's all temporary. It's all hurtful. And listen, are some of those things, if not all those things, are they good? Yeah, there's totally, there's great elements in all those things. They can't define us. They will not bring us joy. Uh, Another thing that we'll end up focusing on is comfort. It's comfort. 
Um, comfort is about consuming, and consuming is simply about what's in it for uh, me. Here's what's interesting about comfort. Um, comfort, essentially, and listen, is, is being comfortable good? There's nothing wrong with having a source of comfort in your life, okay? Um, but to want to live just to be comfortable means you don't also want to be challenged and convicted. And so it becomes critical to have a portion of the way that we think to be in a constant state of wanting to be challenged and I want to be convicted. I want to be challenged, I want to be convicted. I want to be challenged, I want to be convicted. When you get comfortable, here's what you do around challenge and conviction. You run away. I don't like that we talked about that, so I'm going to leave. I don't like, you know what? It's, it's way more comfortable for just like sit at home all the time, so I just like stay there. It's, it's, it's comfort. It's, you, you can't have authentic joy. You can't be emotionally healthy. You can't be relationally healthy. You can't be physically healthy. You can't be spiritually healthy. Um, if, if your only design is for comfort, it does not satisfy, will not satisfy, and actually leads you into an unhealthy place. So when we talk about things here that are more difficult, like politics and race and economic things and gun control and violence and ageism and stuff like that, whatever, these more difficult topics. That, why do we wrestle with those things? We wrestle with those things because we all need to be convicted. We all need to be challenged. We all need to grow. It's the most emotionally healthy thing we can do. And what's that pushing us towards? Not a right answer kind of culturally. It's pushing us towards the heart of Jesus. That's what it means to be emotionally healthy. And that's where we find our greatest joy. that can withstand whatever life throws at us. And so, yeah, we talk about those things. Why? Because we want to be challenged and we want to move away from comfort. When, people, when you start getting comfort, comfortable, you'll say things like, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't really need that anymore. Or, you know what? I did that years ago. I don't need it. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't know who the oldest person in this room is, but my hope for the oldest person in this room at the heart is to always be like, no, I want to be challenged. I want to be convicted. I want to continue to grow. Because I will stop growing when the Lord takes me home. That's our hearts. To the youngest person in this room right now, like, I hope it's the same thing. It's like, man, I do know some stuff, and that's great. And I've got a lot of energy and a lot of hopes and a lot of dreams and everything. I'm just going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. This is why we talk so much about like the fullness of relationships, why we want uh, multiracial uh, relationships and communities, why we want uh, a multi-generational like, relationships and communities, why it's always so important. Why? Because that's where you see the fullness. That's where you get challenged. You have to move away from being comfortable. Like when you sit with someone in a, in a discipleship group or you sit uh, at dinner or whatever it is and, and you're in community with people that they're like, let me tell you my experience, it challenges you. It, it takes away your comfort and it should and it's wonderful. We should want that. Some of my favorite conversations were people that are like very different than me. Um, some of the, like even with some of the, the older boomers that we have, like some, some of my favorite conversations with you guys, like hearing some of your stories growing up, what you went through, how weak we are, right? <laughs> but man, like w w w it's challenging, it's convicting, it's wonderful. You sit with someone who's like a different race than you and hear their experience, it's like it's challenging, it's convicting, it's wonderful. 
it moves us into being able to be a true community that really loves and grows together and challenges one another and makes an incredible difference. If we just stay in the central pleasure side, here's what ends up happening to us. We become negative, cynical, and empty. Negative, cynical, and empty. And so if this has been part of your story and, and people have called you negative or cynical or you kind of even feel this yourself. Like, and I'll talk about this in a second. When you have the hope of Christ alive and well inside of you, you are not negative, cynical, or empty. And I don't know how to, like, I can't emphasize that part enough. You might mourn and you might grieve and you might like have a rough season. I get that. But when the hope of Christ is alive, we will not be defined by being negative, cynical, or empty. But man, if we just live for temporary things, that's what we become. Um, you know, it's interesting. So often, this is the words that are described of Christians in the church. You're so negative. You're so cynical. I don't see a fullness of life. I don't see anything different than, than how I live. Well, what is it? It's a direct challenge to those who say they follow Christ of like, what are you living your life for? Is it temporary? Is that what it is? Or is there something way more meaningful around it? So what's the good part? What's the good part? Well, that's joy with sadness, right? And so what does joy with sadness begin to, to look like? And how do we move to this authentic state? Um, well, a good way to begin in your life and on a practical side would be, what if you started journaling every day what is pure, what is honorable, what is true, what is lovely, what is praiseworthy? Can you imagine if you just ended your day that way or began that day, your day that way? Like, that's how you just did it. Well, why would I do that? Well, because it orients my focus in the right place. And so when we start having this authentic joy, here's what starts to happen inside of us. We have courage. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but we'll have courage. You have the courage to fully engage life around you. You have the courage to engage your story, your hurt, your pain, your loneliness, your sadness, your guilt, your shame, your anger. You have the courage to, to do that. You have the courage to have a sacrificial commitment to one another. You have the, you have the courage to keep trying to want to have relationships with people even though there's the possibility of getting hurt again. You have the courage to begin to continue to engage. You have the courage to grow. You have the courage to be devoted to what really matters in spite of what it might cost you. You have the courage. Sometimes I hear people tell stories of what happens in their workplace when they have the courage to stand up for what is right and they know what can cost them. What does that tell me? Inside of them, they have this authentic joy. They have this joy because they're standing with integrity and character for the right things in spite of what it might cost them. And they step into that. Well, why? Because their heart is oriented to the things that are true and honorable and praiseworthy and admirable and excellent. That's where their focus is. But they might lose their job. It's like, yeah, but you know what? They're doing it in the right way with the right heart, standing up for the things that they believe in. And they'll be fine. They'll figure it out. Their focus and their attention is, is on something else, and it builds a courage inside of them. Um, you'll have the courage to see the beauty in life. Can you imagine 
this week and for weeks afterwards, you are overcome by the beauty of life. Yeah, but wags, there's so much junk and I get it. I'm not saying it'd be like clueless. But I am saying that maybe we look at the hard things that are happening in life, but we still see the beauty inside of it. Why? Because we believe in who Jesus is. And that begins to shape everything else around us. That leads us to the second thing. We see courage and we see hope. We see hope. Um, Paul wrote, as I said earlier, he wrote a bunch of different letters to the church. And I want to I read just a couple of things to you that he wrote um, to people in great pain and persecution. And he wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He said, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up with rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Well, what is he saying here? Is this about generosity? Yeah, it's about generosity, but what is it? It's about a heart. In, in the midst of the worst of the worst, they had this authentic joy that came overflowing out of them. Why and how? This is how. They were first to the Lord, and then by the way of being first to the Lord, and they saw their whole entire life through that, then they were like, I want to be then, I want to love and be so generous to other people around me. Sometimes we make this a little more difficult than we need to, right? It's like, oh, first to the Lord. And all, if I'm first to the Lord, isn't it really easy to start seeing whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's admirable? Well, how so? Because it's first to the Lord. Yeah, my family's a mess, but you know what? If I'm first to the Lord, I can frame that in the way that I need to. My life is a mess. Like, wax, you don't understand the decisions I'm, I made. I get it. Like, I, and I've been there. And it's like, yeah, but when you reorient and go first to the Lord, you can start framing things the way that you need to. And your focus dramatically begins to shift. He also said this in another letter. He says, gosh, I love this verse so much. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust first in him so that, here it is again, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, the antithesis of this is always true, right? Well, we can't overflow with hope if we don't put our trust in Jesus. We can't overflow with hope if we don't have things oriented in the right way. We can't experience the power of the Holy Spirit and who we're designed to be and created to be without our focus being where it needs to be. Hope refuses to let the world around us shape what's happening within us. Hope refuses to let the world around us shape what's happening within us. Because hope is not ignoring the realities of life. Hope is speaking truth over those realities. So no matter what we're seeing in front of us or what we're experiencing, it's like, no, I'm not. Like, yeah, I mean, it might suck really bad. It might be terrible in so many different ways. You might, and you acknowledge the hurt, and you acknowledge the pain, and you acknowledge the sadness, you acknowledge the anger, you do all of those things, and work through all those things, you be honest about all of those things. I'm not talking about avoiding any of it. You fully, fully engage it. But man, I'm not going to let those things 
tell the story because my hope is in something else. And so I always had this continued hope. Uh, Lacey and I and, and our two oldest, we went to the Asbury Revival, which some of you guys might have like, heard about um, in Kentucky last week. And um, there's a lot, I, I did a podcast uh, uh, this, this week with, it, um, with Nicole and on our Stay Curious podcast and talked more about this. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to that. But the one thing that was fascinating about the whole experience of these college student, it was all student-led and everything. We waited four hours to get in. It was a seven-hour trip, like, down there. Like, it was this incredible, incredible experience. But the thing that, like, blew us away was, one, the humility and the purity of what was happening there. There were no screens, no celebrities, no big speakers, no anything. Like, the focus was just, like, Jesus was the celebrity. That's it. Like, that was the focus. And you have, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Like, at 11 o'clock when we left, there were probably three or 4,000 people waiting several hours to get in. This massive just move of God that was happening. But the other thing that, like, you walked away with was, like, just this overwhelming sense of hope of what could be. A hope of what could happen in generations. A hope of what could happen with people in the midst of despair. And these students were not oblivious to what was happening around them. They just kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we understand, like, all these cultural conversations, but our hope is in Jesus, and that's what we're going to get fixated on. We understand that, like, sin doesn't go away because of this prayer meeting that's happening. Like, sin is so, like, like at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the, you know, the fire, the presence of God comes on all of the, these people in the upper room, and the church starts, and like some crazy things start happening. Guess what? Not soon after, Peter gets called out for being a racist. Peter was there in the upper room. So, so listen, even these moments of things are wonderful. They're wonderful, right? But sin still happens. Well, well hope, though, is, is saying that like we understand the realities of what sin does in our world, but hope says I'm going to keep thinking like, all right, I'm going to fixate and trust in who God is and the transformation of people's hearts. So some of these like tough conversations that we have, the reason why I'm still hopeful is because I fully believe in the transformative power of Jesus. So whether you're, you're crippled with something that you're going through or, or whether something like culturally has like overwhelmed you or something gets you so mad, I'm just saying like, yes, be mad or yes, feel and yes to all those things, but do not neglect the reality of the hope of Jesus in the midst of it. So that we can overflow with joy. So that we can experience the power of his spirit. Hope shows our souls haven't gone sour. Um, when you're with negative and cynical people, you don't sit there and be like, oh, they're so sweet. But when you're with hopeful people, doesn't something change inside of you? It resonates with you in such a deep way. Why? Because it's moving to you to who, towards to who you were created to be. Lori, you can come up. Hope is contagious. So is negativity and cynicism, but hope is contagious. And look what Paul says in verse 9. He says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. But, and then he says, And then... The God of peace will be with you. So if you don't put into practice what you saw as Paul was passionately following Jesus and had this great hope, it's like, well, then you don't experience the peace of God. So you put it into practice. That's the hope. That's what we are striving for. Ultimately, 
at the end of it. This courage and this hope leads to celebration. And we're going to sing, we're going we're to sing a couple songs actually, but we're going to take communion and then we're going to sing together. And then we're going to end on a big high note. But that joy and that courage allows you to celebrate again. And some of you guys have known us and experienced this reality. Um, let's say you lost someone close to you and you experienced that. It's a very real emotion that doesn't ever leave you. But you're able to fully celebrate now in a deeper and more meaningful way because of the joy and the courage and the hope that you now have. Again, this has never meant to make us think that um, everything's going to be simple and easy and everything, this whole series. But this, this series was designed to get us, like, to see us at a deeper level of who God wants us to be, who we're created to be, and experience a depth and the love of Jesus like he wants us to. So I'm going to ask you guys to take out your communion elements, if you have them, um, just as a reminder, as you're walking in, if you needed a gluten-free one and didn't grab a gluten-free one, just raise your hand and we'll have someone walk around to you. Um, normally, they're all gluten-free, but Richmond ran out. so Which I guess is good. Maybe a lot of people are taking communion. Um, but I want us to pause here. And so I want you to get ready for this and um, then we'll sing. Go ahead and get your communion elements ready and the band's going to come up. And I want you to hold these in your hand and I want you to start thinking about do I center my life around temporary comfort or fullness and hope and courage of who Jesus wants me to be? And so I just want you to pause and just take this in. So God, we know um, we hold these elements in our hands and we have the bread and the juice. We just we represent your body being broken for us and your blood being shed for us. And the beauty of the sacred moment to understand um, one that you're here with us to know that um, millions of people across the world are doing this as well. Um, but at the centerpiece of where our joy comes from, it's you. And the way that we experience the peace of God, the goodness of God, our ability to say, I thank God is because of your death and your resurrection. So God, this bread that we hold is a reminder that in our brokenness, in our suffering, in our pain, that you're right there with us. So go ahead and eat the bread. God, in this juice that we have is, it represents your goodness, your promise, 
that give us hope, that allows us to be able to see what could be. And so go ahead and drink the juice. So God, this morning we um, pray that we will know your goodness, we will know your kindness, we will um, know your faithfulness to us. God, if, if there are people in this room that have been doubting your faithfulness, that they will experience it in an incredible way this morning. If they've been doubting your goodness, they will experience you in such a profound way. And that, God, that ultimately we can celebrate and thank you for how you're with us. And we can say goodbye to bitterness and things that have, like, tried to bring us down. And we can proudly proclaim, I thank God. Will you stand and sing these last two songs, please?